There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Kevin Sneeders, the Chief Servant Officer of Educational Data Systems Incorporated. Kevin has served in this role for 13 years, and today I am so excited to talk with Kevin about servant leadership. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Danny. Thanks for asking me to be here. It's great to, great to join you. It is in this, in this time of COVID and Zoom and, and video, it's been amazing to be able to reach out and meet people doing great things all over the country. And today, our listeners are going to hear about all the incredible and great work you're doing at EDSI, your passion for people, your passion for serving others, your passion for leadership. So, so our listeners are in for a real treat today. Yeah, it's kind. Thanks for all the work you're doing to uh, connect everybody like you are. It's, it's fantastic. As a good leader yourself and, and then exposing other people to, to good leadership out there too. It's really fun. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Kevin, can we start by, by talking about what are you most passionate about? Yeah, I heard you say it, Danny. It's, it's people. Um, I know that um, early on, having two young daughters uh, that we have, I think that it takes kids probably until they're about 24, 26 for boys probably to really understand who they are. And so as a kid growing up, I thought it was sports. Uh, and I started my career as a sportscaster and I just wanted to be involved in sports somehow and um, wasn't talented enough as an athlete to do that professionally. So I, I went into being a sportscaster and it wasn't until I was about 22 um, that I figured out my passion was truly people and kind of fell into the work that I'm doing uh, accidentally, but uh, really learned at that point that my passion is truly for people and helping people. That's awesome. And so that really ties into what the next question was going to be is, is what drives your purpose and passion for leadership? And it, and it sounds like yeah. as spoken like a great leader, it's, it's all about the people. It is true. And, and if you want to be a servant leader, right, you have to come to that with true humility um, it's not about you, and, and you know that you're there waking up every day to, to just show up for others. And that, um, as I look back and you see the narrative of your own life and you remember these stories, that that was truly present. And, and um, you know, whether it's faith formation or what your parents did for you, um, I, I saw those stories in my own life. And I wasn't a person that ran to leadership. I was a person that, that other people asked to lead. And so I didn't necessarily fight for it myself. I didn't try to take power from others. But I think when they saw me lead by example, there were opportunities that came to me. My wife and I joke about it now that every board that I serve on, she jokes, she's like, well, how long until you're the president of that board? And I don't ever ask for it. I never run for office of any kind. Uh, but it's just people come to me and they ask me for something that they're seeing. And I think it's the connection to people. I think it's the way that they see me be able to connect with people and and help them to, to coalesce and come together. Yeah, no, that, that's incredible. And the, the, the fact that people are, are drawn to you and they see your service for others through your words, through your actions, your, you know, your behaviors, it says a lot. And it, it does drive a lot of humility when people come and they tap you on the shoulder and ask you to step forward. And it, it also probably pulls you in many, many different ways as a father, as, as a leader of, of, of this company, 
uh, being on these boards. Kevin, can you talk to us a little bit and share share a little bit about EDSI? What what does EDSI do? How you know how many team members do you have? Can you share some about that? Yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting. I had somebody say to me at one point, Danny, if you can't describe what your company does in a way that holds the interest of a 14-year-old, then you're not describing it correctly. <laughs> we happen to have one of those 14-year-olds in the house. And I would tell her um, that EDSI helps people who are unemployed find work. Um, we do that to, through government contracts, but we help people who are unemployed find work. Uh, we get to work with them for about a month uh, before we put them out in front of the employer, which is great. And then we typically end up working with those companies we place them into to help those companies be better companies. Uh, we do that through training um, and succession planning sometimes. But for the 14-year-old, I would say we just help those companies be happier uh, once they get there and improve their culture. Wow. That's pretty powerful. When you break it down and you say to help companies and people be happier, I mean, that's what it's all about. When we talk about employee engagement, when we talk about morale, when we talk about culture, creating high-performing teams. That is, that is an excellent way to break that down. That's pretty awesome. Kevin, will you talk about what your rise and, and ascend to becoming the chief servant officer? You know, I was, I was doing some research and from talking to you. I mean, you really started at the ground level as a training consultant and work your way through many different levels. I did. Yeah. And thanks, Danny. I mean, you, you, you brought it up, right? It, it's a great point to say that my goal in my personal life and professionally is to put people in front of a better mirror. So to help them be the best versions of themselves and uh, to have that confidence. And so as a kid, as I said, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do and came out uh, when my parents, <laughs> I told my parents I wanted to be a sportscaster. They said, you're going to be an awesome sportscaster, but just in case, why don't you get a certificate to teach uh, high school? <laughs> and just in case, right? And, and so it was a brilliant stroke of parenting on their part. And, and I did. I went, got a teaching certificate. I was offered a job to teach high school English in Michigan here. Um, and I was working at the television station full time. And I love teaching. I, I found out that I really loved it. At my core, I'm a coach and a teacher. And that really plays into a lot of the aspects of servant leadership, too, uh, that I'm sure I, I'll get a chance to talk about. But as a coach and a teacher, um, again, I was just pursuing sports casting. And my dad had a company that he started in 1979 called EDSI. I had worked there since I was seven years old and never thought that I would work there professionally. Uh, my older brother, younger sister, this was not your prototypical family company. None of us had any desire to work there full time. Um, we did customized training for automotive and manufacturing. Um, and it's great work, but it wasn't my work. It wasn't my calling. And so I uh, talked to my dad um, and said, hey, I'm working at the TV station, uh, all kinds of crazy hours. The first year after school, Danny, I worked over, I think I averaged over 88 hours a week um, where I was working at the TV station, just trying wow. to make some money with my dad, working part-time there, um, hustling basically. And uh, we were on a family vacation. And I said to my dad, you know, what are you doing at the company that I'm not seeing? I'm just trying to help you out where I can write some curriculum and stuff. But he said, you know, I just had an opportunity to open an office in Pittsburgh uh, to place 50 dislocated steel workers. I've been helping them as a consultant, but now they want us to do it with an office full time. And I said, wow, that sounds fascinating. He goes, well, I'm not going to do it. And I said, no, you have to do this. And I was just felt like I was on fire for this concept. And so did the curriculum, did the workbook, um, was still not planning on working at EDSI and then drove out to Pittsburgh uh, with that workbook and spent two days with those 50 
dislocated steel workers. I remember talking to Albert, uh, who was um, illiterate. I mean, workplace illiterate, essentially. His, his reading levels were really low. He was afraid to sit on the computer and even turn it on. Um, and so we, we got a chance to help these individuals make a difference in their lives. And I went into my dad's office the next day, Danny, and I said, you know, when I came back home to Michigan, I said, I want to do this, you know, full time. And he said, all right, well, uh, how much money do you have in your pocket? And I said, well, that's an unusual question to ask. And, and I said, like 20 bucks. And he said, how much help can you be for 20 bucks? And I said, about $20 worth? Like, where's this going? And he said, well, <laughs> you know, I, let me let me show you how to grow the business. Let me show you how to add to this. Let me show you how to start this. And and so he and I started that together and we worked for 13 years together and we grew it to about 10 offices and 200 employees. And uh, my dad came to me and he said, this isn't what I wanted. I never wanted to be a leader of 200 people and you have your mother's personality and it's time that you, it's a perfect time to transition the company. And uh, the self-awareness, when you think about that, Danny, for leadership, the awareness that someone would have to have as the founder of a company to say, it's time for me to leave. And not for him, it was impossibly hard for him to leave, but to leave because he thought that was what was best for those 200 people. And so flash forward 13 years later, we have 800 employees and 53 locations. That's not because of my talent, no false humility. That's because he was right. My personality was right for that time as a leader. And there'll be a time where my personality and, and leadership is not right, you know, for the company potentially. So I have to be able to recognize that as my dad did. Wow, so many powerful pieces of information there. It sounds like your dad has had a huge impact and your mom has had an, a huge impact on who you are, on your leadership, on your leadership style, how you view people. You know, it's funny, people, and I've seen this through my career, aspire to be in formal leadership management positions so they can tell people what to do, so they can make decisions, so they can be the boss. And that's not what leadership is about at all. It's about the things you talked about, coaching, mentoring. You know, Simon Sinek talks about leadership isn't about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. And something that really blows me away is, as we talk, and I learn in more detail what EDSI does, your, your passion and purpose about helping others, right? You do that through your leadership, the culture you create, the, the, the way you help coach and mentor and develop your team members, but the work of helping people who have been displaced from employment build the skills and find and connecting them to employment. Wow. What incredible, incredible impact. Yeah. It, and never more necessary than today, right? With what the country is going through. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get a chance to just help a region think about how to do that. Sometimes we're doing that work directly, but all super important work to get people connected that way. Um, and it's, uh, it's great. It's 26 years later. He said when I joined the company, my dad was really, really smart about it, Danny. He started me as a training consultant. I made 24-5. I'll never forget. I made $24,500 a year. That was the same as anybody else coming into that position. And uh, he had me report to someone else for the first two years. Um, and then I worked my way up and, and earned that. And, and to the homage to my mom, right? I mean, she, every disagreement that my dad and I had, he would go home and talk to my mom and come back the next day and say, I figured it out. I talked to your mom, I figured it out. And so we, we got to work together without much disagreement at all. And uh, yeah, the last, the last disagreement we had, he came back in and, and uh, it was funny. I had formally resigned. Um, you know, I, I slid my resignation letter across the desk <laughs> at him very dramatically. And, and he slid it back at me very dramatically. And he said, you know, I talked to your mom, I figured it out. And, 
He said, your mom says that you've been making all the decisions with people in the company and I've just been getting in your way. So from now on, you'll be the director of operations and do HR and operations. I'll do sales and, uh, and banking and finance. And, um, you know, after that point, Danny, we never had one crossword for five years together. And I, he and I have a beautiful relationship, but, um, you know, when you grow a company from 15 employees, half of whom are related to you in one room to 210 locations, there's a lot of stress that can come in any relationship, including, you know, a parent and a son. And so I think that we did beautifully well considering um, how much was going on. And uh, it was, it was a pleasure. He's the, he remains the penultimate leader to me until you get to about 50 employees. And then he knows enough to say, I control too much to want to do this. And it takes a person that you said coaches and uh, Patrick Lencioni, uh, great, obviously business author, his latest book, The Motive, he said it far more articulately than I could, you know, that the leader is, you should go to leadership because of what you can give, not what you get. And a lot of people, they view that like progression that I had in my career and you've reached some sort of destination or something and it should come with a salary and a car. And that's not why I want to be a leader. I show up as employee number 941 to help other people. And uh, that's, that's really what I've always tried to, to focus on. And, and it's helped me um, to understand the business and the people really, really well. You know, what you just said there really resonated with me. It's, it's not about um, what you get. It's what you can give. Um, when I became the police chief of Dixon in 2008, that wasn't a destination. That was a new beginning. And, and I had a greater duty and responsibility to serve. And I had a greater duty and responsibility to drive impact in areas that, that needed impact and needed leadership. You know, one of those areas was uh, child abuse and protecting children from child abuse and giving them a face and a voice and empowering them to come out. Um, another one of those areas was substance use disorder and what we've done to help, you know, instead of the, the easy thing is to arrest people, connect them to treatment and, and help them. And so, so one thing I really like to drive home is like becoming the, at the top of the organization isn't a destination, it's a new beginning that comes with great, great responsibility and, and, and then more than ever, you have to give and give and give and, and give. Kevin, I, I want to ask you, because I've never heard the title Chief Servant Officer. Normally you hear CEO or President or Executive Director. Where did this title come from? I love it. Yeah, you know, it was just something, I'm sure I heard it someplace else, right? I don't like to say I made it up or anything like that, Danny. I can't remember ever hearing it. it to me, it just occurred, right? And and I had been referring to myself like that. And, and I went back to graduate school finally after 20 years of, of working. And uh, I'd been talking about it in graduate school. And, and one of my friends, Stanley, uh, who's a brilliant engineer from Stanford, uh, Stanley said, you know, you've referred to yourself in that way as the chief servant leader, chief servant officer. He said, but you don't, you don't have that formally on your business card. You know, why is that? Why wouldn't you refer yourself that, to, to that way formally? And so because of my respect for Stanley, I came back and, and I changed my email signature uh, the very next week. And then I saw the response that it got from people, uh, much like you reacted, Danny, to say, I've never seen that before. I really like that. It speaks to something in, in me. And, um, you know, so then I obviously got very excited about it. And anytime I address um, our dedicated people at EDSI, I always remind them that that's who I am. Um, sometimes formally you have to say CEO because you're signing a bank document or something, but uh, for everything else, I try to always refer to, my, to myself that way. And uh, it's something that's, that's worked well and, and speaks to who, who I'm trying to be. 
Well, I think it's, it's really incredible. And uh, I think it's a takeaway that people will have from this conversation. And it, I think it says something within your own organization when you're referred to and with your own leadership team as the chief servant officer, like it sets a tone. Words matter and it really sets, sets a tone. Can, Kevin, can you share what servant leadership means to you and, and, and kind of go in depth about your servant leadership model? Yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, you know, I will tell you that, that servant leadership found me. I didn't find servant leadership and I was trying to be authentic uh, as a leader, which I think is really, really important. And one of my friends had asked me to speak at our high school. He was working as the assistant principal. And so to have a chance to go back to your high school is no greater honor, um, I think, for most people. And, and I got done and he stood up on the stage and he said, you know, Kevin was one of the few leaders I know that talks about values and who, how he's trying to lead and then does it every single day when he wakes up. And I get off of the stage and I said, gosh, that's a huge compliment. It's a gift. Thank you very much. And he said, as most friends from high school would say, right? Um, don't get ahead of yourself. It's a pretty simple servant leadership model. <laughs> so that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And then so I started, I said, well, where can I start? And he gave me a book and then I read another book and kind of dove into it. So for me, it became a way to talk about how I wanted to lead. And the more I studied and became a student of servant leadership, the more I appreciated it and what it meant to me. I, we train our people, um, Danny, to say, there's an acronym that I made up that's not a great acronym, but it's NAC. So I try to ask them, do you have the NAC for it, spelled N-A-Q? As an English major and a teacher, I know that it's not spelled NAC that way, but that's how we remember it, right? N-A-Q. The first thing you have to do is meet the needs. The N stands for needs. You have to meet the needs of the people that you're serving because if you need my help and I can't help you, if you're the chief of police and you can't make that path easier for the officers and, and meet their needs, then you're not being a servant. You're not, you're not meeting what is most important to them. Um, the next one is accountability. And that's the piece about servant leadership that a lot of people miss. There's a thought that because you're a servant that people are going to take advantage of you or walk all over you. Um, that's never true because as a servant to others, they will go through a wall for you because of what you represent in their life personally. And I believe in accountability I don't use accountability to try to, to micromanage or hold people accountable in a negative sense. I want to know who to say thank you to. I want to know who to represent um, and, and put a ribbon on their, around their neck because they won, right? Who do you see at the top rung and say thank you? You were responsible for this, and that means a lot, and we appreciate it. Uh, so the recognition that comes from accountability, if you're keeping score properly, uh, you never have to hold someone accountable because we all know that we'll hold our own selves accountable more than somebody else will, unless there's some, some other issue going on. And then the final thing is just questions. And, and the coaching um, you know, certificate that I, I got, the coaching study, the, the pursuit that I have within coaching, the coaching model, is a huge component of servant leadership because you have to stay in question mode. If you don't stay in question mode, you leap to early conclusions, you create solutions that aren't appropriate for people at that time. And in question mode, you can really understand and appreciate where that person needs to be met, uh, what their true needs are, and what you can do to be most helpful so that you don't leap to um, conclusions too early. And I love that. I always tell people, as soon as you think you have the solution, ask three more questions. Because whenever I do that in my own life, I always think, gosh, if I would have told them that, <laughs> that would have been the exact wrong thing to tell them because I didn't understand it yet. And so I think the, the worst question I can ask as a leader is better than the best statement I can make as a leader. And that's been true in my experience. You know, when, 
when we ask questions and we get the opinion, like, so as leaders, first of all, if, if, if you're a leader out there listening to this and you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to surround <laughs> yourself with, with smarter people. The, the job of a, of a leader isn't to know everything and have all the solutions. It's to create diverse teams of people who are adding and contributing to those solutions, that diversity filling in, you know, everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. And, and, and as leaders, like your father, being emotionally intelligent enough, self-aware enough to know where those strengths and weaknesses are and not being threatened or intimidated by others who maybe have answers that you don't have, but empowering them and how that makes the entire team better. The other thing about questions, when we, when we ask people questions, it says, I trust you. I respect you. You have value. You are important, right? And so that, that is a huge, huge thing that, that can't be understated when building trust, when building relationships, when building influence, which to me, that's what leadership really is, influence, right? Our ability to influence people and teams towards a common good or purpose um, that, that, that falls and lies within their best interests. Yeah, really well said, Danny. And I don't think uh, anyone ever confuses me for being the smartest guy in the room. Uh, they know that I'm there to, to ask those questions. Um, and I think you said it beautifully, the, the respect that that shows them. Um, to, to tell people, you're absolutely better than this. One of the things I like to do is to offer my assistance to anyone in the company. So we're starting on what we call town hall meetings, but it starts this afternoon. I will meet with 820 representatives over 82 days in groups of 10 or less, uh, so that I can talk to everybody in the company at least once a year. And the only question I ask them is, what are you looking forward to? What's going on in your personal life that you're excited about in the next 82 days? Because I'm meeting with 82 people, or 820 people in 82 days, what are you excited about? And then uh, Jennifer, my assistant, is kind enough to put that into my calendar. So if they have a son that's getting married or a daughter that's having a baby, um, they give us a date and they put that date in the calendar and then I email them you know, when that's coming up to say, how did that go? How are you doing? Is everybody healthy? And so it starts a, a contact that I have with them that's different uh, through that question mode, right? It's, um, they'll email me back, then we um, get, a, get to have some correspondence that you wouldn't necessarily have outside of that line of reporting. Um, and, it, and I also ask them, was, what do they want the company to stop doing tomorrow? If they had one wish for the company, what would that be? And those questions that they form as a group, you know, 10 or less, um, help inform me on how to guide the company. And so we'll end up with a hundred or so unique ideas about how to improve the company, how to make the company better, smarter, faster. And it's been a great process, but it's just fun that it starts uh, this afternoon. It'll be my first one with our team in Raleigh for a couple uh, meetings this afternoon. So, so that's, that's phenomenal. The fact when, when you get bigger organizations, 820 team members, that, that's a lot of team members. So the commitment on your part to meet with all 820 of them, the way you've broken this down to be able to do it in groups of 10 or less, and to start with a question that has absolutely nothing to do with business or the success of the organization. Why is it important for you to ask a question that has nothing to do with the business or the success of the organization? Yeah, the whole self, right, Danny? I mean, this isn't a person that comes in and we see as an employee. This is an individual who should be celebrated for 
her or his unique uh, abilities and strengths. And we want to get to know that person. And for me, asking that question outside of, of work just means that we, we mean what we say and we act as we say it, right? We're going to ask them about uh, who they are as a person, um, what's most important to them. And they're a person first and, and an EDSI representative second. And so as they come to me and say, hey, I'm not really feeling challenged. If we can't find a job with them, uh, within, for them within EDSI, happy to help them find that outside of EDSI too, so that they're ultimately can, can, again, be in front of the best possible mirror and be the best version of themselves. Wow. So something, so a few weeks ago, I released a podcast uh, I recorded with Aaron Duffy. Aaron is a millennial leader. The topic was leading millennials. And so, and then I was talking with Heather Younger a few weeks ago about employee experience, employee engagement, and the art of caring leadership. And so there's something that, that is emerging, that has been emerging, that leaders need to pay attention to. And that is this experience, this, this work experience, and the fact that people want to be able to show up as, them, as their whole selves. And I know before coming up in my coaches and mentors, and they were amazing, amazing people, like we don't want to mix business with, with pleasure. We don't, you know, it's not our business to ask about people's personal lives. And, and I'm glad to see the transition and the change. And I'm glad that you brought it up because when we talk about, especially leading millennials, I think it's important with Gen X. It was probably important with the boomers, right? Um, it'll be important with Gen Z. People want to show up as their whole self. They want to be their true authentic self and they want to be empowered to be that. So your mindset and the, the, the framework in your mindset on this question is a huge takeaway from, from this conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Danny. I mean, I'm fortunate that it fits my mental model, you know, naturally in terms of the love of people. And so you want to treat the whole self, as you said, it's uh, you don't expect people to come through that door and be a different person and kind of act differently. And yet we were trained that way. As you said, that was sort of how I was brought up in business too, is you leave that stuff at home and, Gosh, I think it's a lot more interesting and the person's a lot more prepared to be great at work. I, you can't be great at work if you're not great at home and you can't be great at home if you're not great at work. And sometimes as leaders, we underestimate the impact that we can have on the family and, and people's home lives and things that they're interested in outside of work in a negative and positive way. Um, you know, there's a Sean Acor wrote a great book called The Happiness Advantage. And he said in there that there's a statistical a likelihood that's you know 30% greater that someone will have a coronary event in their 50s if they have a bad boss. And so his point was that literally we're hurting people by getting that low level of stress that you can create consistently by not being the kind of supervisor leader uh, that that person needs. So they're, they're totally connected. And, and I, I appreciate that you and other leaders can, can see that and, and act that way. Yeah, they, they are so connected. And we realize the, the true impact of leadership has reaches far beyond the eight to four, the nine to five or the three to 11. Like we're really having, and the leaders within our organizations are having a major, major impact on the quality of life on our people and on our teams. And I don't think something that's something that was thought about in the past. It was more about, it wasn't that maybe the bosses or the leaders didn't care. They just didn't have perspective. So that's incredible yeah. perspective. So the second thing you ask is what should the company start doing and um, stop doing immediately 
right? When you ask that question, you got to be ready for those answers. So can you give an example of, of, of what some of those suggestions or a suggestion that you guys implemented or can you just kind of give an example of, of that? Yeah, we had, uh, we used to do quarterly reviews, Danny. Um, that was the one that came up most consistently. I started this process with 420 employees over 42 days. And, um, you know, that was the one that came up most consistently. And Jennifer and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, that's the fifth time we've heard that. We better put that on the top of the list. Turns out they didn't want to do quarterly reviews. Uh, they didn't want the paperwork. And there are very few people that love reviews. My interest in creating that quarterly structure was to make sure that we didn't go too long without taking time out and talking to you about your career. And so what we did is we changed it to quarterly conversations. And we asked the leader to go out, grab coffee, go to breakfast, meet with the person informally, and just focus 100% on that individual. How are you doing? What could we do differently for you that would make it easier for you at home? Uh, these are the basic questions that we're just checking in with them. And then once a year, we have more of the formal paperwork, traditional review uh, that we do. But even that is a plan meeting where we're planning uh, their future learning. We're planning their career trajectory and looking at them uh, for, through the lens that they want us to look at them. Um, this is my career and, and how can we help um, with that, that growth and development? So, yeah, just a simple adjustment. But you can't it's really hard to say yes to something without saying no to something else, right? We're all so busy and there's 24 hours in the day. We talk about choice management, you know, not time management. And so as we're making those choices as a company, uh, we're making them knowing that we have to stop doing some things uh, to make space for the new things that we want to innovate and, and try out and have fun with. Choice management. That, that's a great, that's a great term. I like that. I've written that down. I put quotes around it. Um, because, you know, we want to create these open and inclusive environments. We want to find ways to say yes to people's ideas. Um, but, but sometimes we can't because we got to make choices. How do you handle a situation when you've been provided feedback and maybe feedback from several people and you've asked for that feedback, but yet the company can't move in that direction or you can't accommodate that feedback? Does that cause issues or problems or how do you handle that? Yeah, what a great question, Danny. Um, and, and you know, I, I appreciate you because you are yourself a great leader, right? So you can see through that lens and ask great questions and, and, and leverage your own experience. And, you know, when you, you ask that, what Jennifer and I take a great degree of responsibility for is to make the list and work the list. Okay, so people give us this feedback. The worst thing you can do as a leader is to ask for their opinion and then ignore it. Right? <laughs> you would have been better off not asking because they would just think that you were ignorant. But now they think that, uh, you know, you really don't care about them. And so that's more. It's one thing not to care about your job. It's another thing not to care about them personally. If you ask them how, about their feelings and then don't take action on it, it's, it's just a, a huge offense. And so what Jennifer and I do is we make the list, we work the list, and, and then we follow up with them. Um, literally just in an Excel chart to say, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's the progress that we're making. Here are the things that came through. And here's what we can do. And some of them I tell them up front, we can't enact some of these because our customer won't allow that at this point, or we can't do this. Um, you don't want to act like you, you're helpless and, and you can't make that happen for them, but they need to know that you tried. You know, you pushed it as far as you could and you came up against an answer that's not ideal, but it is where we are today and we'll keep trying to figure it out. Um, we call it FIO, right, at EDS. I just trying to figure it out. And so once they get that feedback, I think they do appreciate that 
you tried and, and maybe they didn't get the answer that they wanted, but you did complete that loop of the communication and uh, make sure that you held their opinion uh, in, in the highest esteem possible. But that's a, it's a great insight on your part because you do have to communicate everything. And I'm a big believer that you can't over communicate. I have yet to find the person that says to me, you know what, I've heard enough from you. Please stop calling me. Um, maybe they're being polite, but uh, they have not said that to me yet. So uh, they appreciate it. During the pandemic, I've been sending out two video messages um, you know, every week. The first one on Monday morning comes out with our, our values and our daily ways. Our, our values are show up, smile, and support. And then we define those through our daily ways. And so that's on a 12-week cadence, Danny, where I talk about one that week. This week, we're focused on, you know, I, I use my judgment and take initiative. Uh, that's one way that we can show up for other people. And so as we do that, I'll just send out a two and a half minute video. And then the rest of the week, usually today, uh, there'll be a video that will go out. It always goes out, uh, but usually on Thursday afternoon. And it's just a video message for me saying, hey, I know this is really hard. Um, this is how I'm thinking about this this week. And here's something that's important to the company. And um, I know you know that I'm here for you, but I want to hear from you on what's important. If I were to pull up my emails right now, Danny, I can tell you that I get five to 10 emails from employees every, every day. Um, that are just reaching out about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as you process those things, you know, I don't ever personalize the bad stuff. Um, I'm trying really hard to be the best servant that I can be, and I'm not going to get it right every time for sure. I'm going to make mistakes today. And as long as they're not criticizing me as a husband and father, I promise not to personalize it. <laughs> this is what I do. It's not who I am, and I'm trying to do the best that I can. And so keeping that framework for me, uh, helps me to hear the negative stuff. And if they really believe and have the psychological safety that you want to hear it, they tell you. And, and you have to be prepared for that. But that's not to be personalized. Um, I have a lot of pride in the company, but I don't think we're perfect. And so we're trying to get better, smarter, faster every day. Yeah, I just hear so much humility um, and vulnerability, you know, coming from you and your words. And those are those are two incredible, incredible qualities of leaders. I want to unpack a few things that you said here because a lot of people that I work with and talk to, they, they become afraid to ask people what they think or to take suggestions because what about, then they're going to be upset if we don't do it. And you said something and the way you unpacked that was so powerful that really people want to be heard. They want to know their opinion counts and matters. And and your team members understand that you that you can't, implement every new idea that, that it has nothing to do with the quality of the idea, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, but people just want the opportunity to be heard. And if you really open your ears and, and listen to what it is your team has to say, it can result in a lot of positive changes. And then to, to have follow up, as you said, not, well, I, I made the suggestion, but it's like always, I never heard anything back. When you follow up and say, thank you so much for this, this is the matrix, as you guys put it out, this is where we're at, and then even follow up and say, you know, I really appreciated your suggestion. I think it's a great suggestion, but, you know, when we look at, you know, choice management and what we can do, it's just not something that we can move forward right now, but it's something you brought light to. It's something we're going to continue to look at, and, and that's really all people want. They just want to have a voice. They want to be heard. They want to be respected, yeah. right? Yeah, you're so right, Danny. Yeah, it's, it's about that respect, as you said. I think that's a great way to put it. And the other thing is don't personalize the bad stuff. If you're becoming a leader, you became a leader to be popular, 
right? To be in the limelight, to be the star, you've chosen the wrong thing. It's leadership. We talk, you know, I talk a lot about leadership isn't for the faint of heart. Uh, Ed Wojcicki the other week talked about um, the one sure thing about leadership is you're going to be misunderstood because it's impossible as much as you proactively communicate. And, and like you say, you can't communicate too much with your team. There's no way they can fully understand all the information that you have and the decisions that you have to make. When I became the police chief in 2008, I knew I had a lot to learn, but I felt, okay, I'm ready for this. And, you know, you haven't sat in the chair until you've sat in the chair, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's tough. And then the other thing you unpacked there about the importance of communication. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've heard tons of complaints from companies that I work with and, you know, throughout our own organization about communication, the lack of communication. We're always the last to know. I've never heard anybody say, hey, look, would you, I'm, I'm tired of all this communication. You guys communicate too much. I don't want to know all this stuff. And so I, I just found those to be just incredible takeaways. And I just wanted to highlight those um, as we move forward. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. No, thank you, Danny. That's awesome. So, Kevin, everybody um, isn't a giver. Everybody doesn't step into leadership roles to serve others. How do you create buy-in for this servant leadership model and hold accountability from, from your leaders, especially your frontline leaders? Because, you know, people don't leave companies and organizations. They leave their immediate supervisor. So you set that tone. But how do you, how do you generate and create buy-in for this leadership model? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot, right? Because as the company has grown, I started again with 15 people in one room, and we had one leader and my dad that we all identified with. And um, Jennifer just told me the other day, we sent out our 360s um, to anyone who had three direct reports or more, and we, you can't have more than 10. So they have three to 10 direct reports, and there are 162 of them that went out. So we've got to get that right 162 times. Um, you know, our banker, uh, Russ, and I were playing golf last summer, and he said, you know, you always talk about your values and show up, smile, support, and servant leadership, and I'm kind of like a broken record, I guess, but Russ was like, how often do you get it wrong? And I said, you know what, Russ, not that often, not because we're good, but we're so clear. We're so clear about who we are and what we're about at EDSI. You would never sign up to be a servant leader at EDSI if you were that person anymore because they've heard it so many times that they know what they're signing up for. So um, it's almost like if you were a college basketball coach and you said, I'm only going to recruit players that, um, you know, are going to graduate in four years. I don't care about their talent level, but I want really smart kids that are going to graduate in four years um, and they're going to stay for four years and not go pro. Um, you would get those kids because you were clear about what you were trying to identify and the path that you were going to walk. And so for us, I think because we are saying this is who we are and we're so repetitive about it, um, the people who want to be drawn to that are coming to it because they want to give more. And I'll joke with them and say, congratulations, you're a leader at EDSI. You've never had less power in your life or something like that. Because you know, we don't do it through authority. We do it through a relationship. And so by getting that promotion, they're actually getting a step back in terms of the power that they think they have in the organization. And um, that's what I think is interesting. Doesn't mean we get it right every single time. No, but does it mean we hear from the people in that environment that they're not getting what we told them they would get? Absolutely. It's not hard to spot when we have a problem because we get a bunch of phone calls very quickly and then we help that person. I always tell people, look, you're not, you're not tattling on someone to call and say that they're having a hard time. You, hopefully you're doing that to try to help them and we're not going to 
do anything punitive. We're going to put our armor on that person and try to help them. And if we can't fix it, then we'll help them find another job someplace else. Uh, but our first inclination is to try to help that person get better as a servant leader. So this accountability thing is where a lot of people, so a lot of people I think misunderstand servant leadership. And, and some people I've talked to about, you know, even think when they hear that, that there's some weakness there. Oh, and, yeah. and people should never mistake kindness for weakness. And accountability really is the difference when you talk about leadership. Um, I've seen personally been part of an organization that began to fall apart because of a lack of accountability, a lack of alignment of leadership. Um, people respect what's hard. People, when, when we don't hold people accountable, we're not getting friends or becoming popular. We're losing respect and being viewed as being weak. And when, when somebody sees somebody doing something that they know is against the values, they know violates the expectations and the rules of the organization, they say, why isn't this person being held accountable? If I did this, I'd be held accountable. And then you start to, to generate fairness and consistency issues, which, which devastate cultures and teams. So I love the fact that in the realm, you're doing it in a positive way, talking about this accountability piece, which is a very important piece of, of healthy cultures, healthy teams, and organizational excellence, right? Performing at your highest yeah. level. For sure. Yeah, yeah we use a model um, called 4DX or the Four Disciplines of Execution. It's a Covey model uh, that had a lot of, uh, got a lot of enthusiasm within the organization when we started using it, Danny. And one of the things that I love about it is that you can make your own scorecard. And so it's a visual display of what your goals are that sits on your desk or I don't have a desk. We have all open environments. So I just have a locker. And when we're in the office, I kind of move around to wherever I'm needed. Um, but on my locker, you'll see a scorecard. And that scorecard is the thing that I'm trying to move forward that's most important to the organization that I can affect. And people design it themselves. So you might see somebody that has like fish that they're pulling out of the water with numbers next to them. And so whatever is important in their life, but then they own it more. So you, you get this uh, flywheel effect, as uh, Collins would say, right, that they continue to get excited about the ability to keep score, the ability to make that scoreboard themselves. And, I mean, think about it as a metaphor to sports again. If you're at a football game and the scoreboard's not working and you can't tell down and distance or what quarter you're in, I mean, it gets really um, disinteresting really quickly and, and, and frustrating. And so I think about that when I think about accountability is how can we keep score to celebrate people. Uh, if you have problems, you're going to find it. But our problems are opportunities for us to provide more assistance. Uh, it's very rarely that we come across the person that's just not trying. And then when they're not, you find out they have all these things going on in their personal life that don't allow them to be that person today. Pretty sure they're giving the best that they can give. They didn't wake up that morning thinking, I hope I fail. And I hope somebody finds out I'm a failure at work. Um, so we want to be there for them to, to help more than anything else. Your, your perspective, I just, it's incredible. I love it. I've had so many conversations with different leaders. You know, we never know what the person we're standing across from is truly going through. And, and if you brought them into your organization and brought them onto your team, there's no better investment in time than digging a little further and seeing what's going on and looking to truly help them. And instead of starting with a negative, like this person's lazy or this person's this that, or the other thing, start with from a positive point and not that people struggling is a positive, but 
I wonder what this person's going through right now that's, that's, you know, translating into these things. Sometimes it's just a lack of confidence. Sometimes it's a problem with a kid, right? The, you know, a problem with your child. Sometimes there's struggles in a relationship. Sometimes there's financial issues. Sometimes somebody's got a mom or a dad or a grandma or grandpa who's sick and taking that time and caring and asking and getting to the root and the core of the problem as you do, man, it drives so much trust, strengthens relationship, builds loyalty. You talk about employee engagement, morale, ownership, as you've talked about. So accountability isn't about, oh, I caught somebody doing wrong and I'm going to discipline them, right? There, there's a positive side of this accountability. And this, this side is instead of saying, hey, I'm going to get this person in trouble, is, hey, I'm going to work to help this person through what it is they're going through. So, yep. so powerful. Wow. Yeah, thanks, Danny. It's, wow. uh, it's certainly a lot more fun to, to work in that environment. And how can a company of 800 have a similar culture to the company of 15 in terms of the positive aspects that it can create in people's lives? I mean, we've been able to hold on to that as we've grown. And it's been very intentional, a very intentional effort to be consistent about how we treat people. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, if I wasn't working where I'm working, I would want to work <laughs> in your environment and your culture. No, I'm, I'm telling you, as people listen to this podcast, going to be like, are they hiring? Like, are they, it's, just, it's really incredible. And this is, you know, culture yeah. and, and these things, this leadership that we're talking about is something that I'm so passionate about um, and, and, and delivering for others. And you're just, yeah, the, I'm so excited about this conversation and the value in so many different areas and aspects that you're talking about. Because even if somebody's listening, they say, well, I know about servant leadership or I've heard this or that, the, the words we use, the way we look at things, a little different perspective. I know that's what it's done for me. It is going to significantly improve my leadership, even though I believe in a lot of the things you're talking about, being able to reshape it and reframe it and communicate in different ways and then recheck are we doing what we think we're doing? Are we aligning the way you do with your values? And, and I'm, I'm definitely going to check out Covey's four disciplines of execution. Um, that sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah, great model. Yeah, so, great model. Kevin, I wanted to ask about a couple of things. I've heard you speak about this before. Uh, the, the one is the best reflective self-exercise. Um, and so I, could you explain what that is and what the purpose of that is? Yeah, what a gift, Danny, that you can give to people that you lead and that you serve because you ask them in the process to ask 12 people in their life to think of a time uh, up to three times when they were at their best and to tell a very specific story. And so you have people that are reaching out to their mom, their dad, their best friends. You know, it's all people outside of the business. And they're telling stories about, I remember when you were in Cub Scouts and you know, you help that kid up that had fallen down at the end of the race and they get these stories back. Now you get 12 times three, right? I, I'm an English major, so don't ask me to do math, but they get all these <laughs> stories back and they, they, when they get them, they're able to read through them and then we help them identify the themes. So within these stories of how the most important people in your life see you, these are the themes that exist and they come up with three that they try to anchor on. And so they might come back like my three words um, from that exercise and from life are very consistent. It's about kindness, it's about thoughtfulness, and it's about generosity. And so, you know, again, through just maturation in my own life, I recognized that I didn't want to be, uh, there's a, Mark Golston wrote a book called Just Listen, and, and Dr. Golston said, it's better to be interested than interesting. 
And as a kid growing up, I was very interesting. <laughs> and I was the life of the party, right? I always had a story to tell. But as an adult, I try to be more interested, obviously. And so I am kind, I am thoughtful, I am generous. And that's the kind of theme that would come out from the best reflected self is you would be able to articulate, this is who I am, right? This is at my core who I am and it's how people see me. Wow, such a powerful exercise. And I'm sure you've seen incredible growth and positive impact in your team members as, as you've worked through that. Yeah, you said it earlier. I heard you say awareness, right, Danny? I mean, the awareness that my dad had to leave, the awareness that people have in their careers in life. Who am I? How do people see me? I believe personally that when your identity, how you see yourself matches your reputation and how other people see you, that is success. That's why you're having success in your career and your life and your relationships, because your identity matches your reputation. And people are saying the same thing. I, I, I had a business leader, a mentor of mine that challenged me about 10 years ago to keep track of the things that people say to you. Positive, right? Um, and you've been so kind to me today, Danny. I've, I, I haven't been writing them down, but you want to write them down. And I keep them in a file on my phone. And so that's not to build my ego, but that's that this is how people see me. This is how they see my action. So every time I get a positive email or a positive comment, I just make a quick note in my phone. And I can go through that. And I promise you, it says, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for being thoughtful. Thank you for remembering me. Thank you for your generosity they're seeing that the, the person that I'm intentionally trying to be. And that's, um, that's been huge uh, for me in terms of affirmation to keep doing the, the good work that I'm trying to do. Yeah. That, that reinforcement that to say, am I on the right track? Am I staying on the right track? Um, and, and to have the confidence to step out and be your authentic self. And one of the things I think that, um, that this exercise does, I, there's a lot of people out there, who, who might be 40 or 45 or 25 or 35 years old that, that are really struggling to find out who they are and where they fit. A lot more people than people realize and recognize. You know, we talk about winning the battle between our ears. That six inches of space is a battleground. Uh, you talk about the negative thoughts and, and, and self-talk that happened there. Um, and so this exercise is a powerful thing that, that I'm going to look forward to implementing with our team. And, um, and, and I think it's a, it's a great thing to share with our listeners. It's something I know I've never heard of. I think it's going to be something new and powerful for our listeners. Could you transition and talk about the immunity map? Yeah, the immunity to change. I'm blanking on the author's names now. I, I feel terribly about that when I do. But uh, the immunity to change is the name of the book uh, that we took that from. And it, the concept is your, immunity, your immune system works really, really well until it doesn't. I had a professor of mine that used to say, every statue casts a shadow. Everything taken too far becomes a problem, right? And, and so um, in that, the immunity, the immune system starts working against itself when it, it, it's broken. And so I went through this with one of our young emerging leaders, and she grew up in Brooklyn, um, had a great work ethic, and she did not delegate. So why do you not delegate? And people would say she doesn't trust anybody. Well, we went through the immunity map. It wasn't about trust. It was about this work ethic that she had to say, I'm, I can do this myself. I should be doing this myself. I can't ask anybody else to do this. And you're like, unless you have responsibilities in the organization that are going unmet because you're doing this, right? And so, um, you know, my dad used to say, if you're like trying to work at a level 10 and, and we got a proposal that needs to go out and you're going to make some boxes and put everything together and you're going to make copies for the day, that's awesome. And people respect that. As long as the next morning you go back to level 10, if you stay there and you're, you're working at this level of making copies, 
uh, then all of a sudden the organization doesn't have a leader. And I, I never forgot that because she was working at a level that wasn't helpful. She had to work through others and she was still trying to be great herself. And that's very different in leadership, right? And so uh, why as she worked through it and unpacked that? She found out it was because of her work ethic that had gone so far, it was actually hurting her in terms of her leadership. And that's just one example that you can get to. It just forces them to ask those questions of themselves to get there uh, and figure out what they're doing that could be done differently. That story resonates so much with me because one of my greatest struggles when I transitioned into a leadership role was um, the fact that I felt like I was dumping on other people instead of really what I was doing was developing other people. And when I became the police chief, one of the things that I'd written down inside of our um, critical incident response book was you're the coach, not the player. When, when we showed up on major scenes, whether it was a hostage situation, a barricade subject, uh, somebody, you know, suicidal or what active shooter, whatever the case may be to remind myself, you're the coach, not the player. And, and I had issues, you know, with that early on. Um, and, and, and once I identified that and I reframed and reshaped that, and I had some other great leaders and mentors that helped me do that, then, then I became very good at empowering others and being comfortable delegating, always leading by example. But like you said, you can, you've got to work at, I forget quite how you, you shaped it, but like you, it's okay to get down and to do the jobs in the, you know, ABC level, as long as you return back to the, you know, QRS level uh, of where you're supposed to be performing, because this is, if you're not performing at that level, you're not actually serving and helping your full team and making your greatest contribution. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the evolution for people in their own leadership growth. If you can be an exceptional individual, you've now got to help other people be exceptional. And then at some point you get to the point where you're helping their leaders help them be exceptional. And uh, it's a different skill set. It's a different uh, technique and a different approach. So Kevin, you've unpacked servant leadership about as good as I think it can be unpacked. The value you've added to today's conversation is truly, truly phenomenal. Is there anything that I haven't asked in the realm of servant leadership that you think is important or that you want to share with our listeners today? Just a happiness effect, right? I think that I hope for everybody that they can see themselves in front of the best mirror and, and not enough people sit under that tree and reflect about their own happiness. We all sort of get on that hamster wheel and, and work really hard without any you know, self-reflection. And so um, I hope that people take the time to sit under the tree and, and determine what's most important to them. And hopefully their careers can be aligned with that. If not, I hope they find that alignment. But no, I would say to you, Danny, you did such an exceptional job as the coach, right? Or as the, as the host, sorry. You did an exceptional job as the host, but no, there's nothing left unturned, I don't think. You really did a great job uh, asking phenomenal questions. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to be with you here today and asking great questions. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Kevin, you have, you've really added such incredible value, so many different ideas, so many different concepts, so many different references for people to go back. And I'm going to try to do a good job of getting some of those in the notes for the podcast. So, so people can go back and reference those things. Again, we've been talking with Kevin Sneeder, uh, the chief servant officer of educator, educational data systems, Inc. EDSI talking about servant leadership and the impact of that servant leadership you know, he's not doing this and, 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 and implementing this model in a group of 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 people. 
he's implemented this model in a team of 820 people across uh, across many different offices and, and areas. He's really created such an incredible culture. Thank you again for joining us today. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing, give us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps us reach and more importantly, help more people. More people need to hear Kevin's message, what he's unpacked today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, always be committed to excellence.